everybody this morning? Good. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Josh, and um, I had COVID. Wait, all y'all got real quiet. I had COVID like two weeks ago, so I think I'm past like the contagious point, but I still have a lot of stuff going on right here. I have my cough drop, I have a pocket full of Kleenex, and I have a cup of water, so just wanted to let y'all know that up front. You're good, Spencer, right there where you are. So it's good to be with you this morning, and um, Benia did such a good job last week of kicking off this short sermon series about radiance, about the beauty of God, and um, she really did a great job of articulating, I wasn't here, by the way, because I was quarantined last Sunday, but I went back and, and watched her message of articulating how God conveys His beauty in so many different ways through art, through music, through creation especially, that God's uh, beauty comes to us. And this is something that we need. And this is kind of something that God's been driving home to me this week is sometimes we can think about beauty or we can think about radiance as kind of something that improves our lives or enriches our lives, but not necessarily something that we need. But beauty is something that we need because beauty doesn't just enrich our lives. It also brings healing into our lives. Um, some of y'all know this about me. I work as a, as a chaplain in a prison and prisons are places, hopefully none of y'all have been in prisons unless you've been there visiting or ministering, but prisons are places that are to a large degree devoid of beauty and so you see this general, and actually that, I won't get into it now, but that's done by design because it induces a general sense of malaise and depression because there's no access to beauty. And this is not the way that God intended us to live. We need beauty. And so when God gives us beauty, when he conveys beauty to us in all these different ways that will get into some of that today. He's not just brightening up our day. He's actually meeting a, a deep, visceral, existential need that we have as human beings created in His image. So the, uh, the passage that we're going to be dealing with today, the passage of the Transfiguration, which we're going to read again. You guys read through it last week. Um, Peter makes a couple of statements that we're going to focus on. And one is, he says, it is good that we are here. So they're there with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're seeing Jesus in all of his glory and all of his brilliance and radiance. They're seeing Elijah and Moses there with him. And Peter makes this statement that it is good that we are here. And it was good that they were there. There was a purpose for it. Jesus was conveying the beauty of God to them and we are meant to experience the beauty of God through our five senses, okay? We are meant, y'all, so this is not something that we should feel guilty about, something that we uh, feel like is a luxury 
But this is something that we should seek out because we are meant to experience the beauty of God through our five senses. Now, back to me having COVID. Has any, how many of y'all have had COVID before? Okay, whoa, dang. A few of y'all didn't put your hands up. Okay, how many of you, when you had COVID, lost your sense of taste and smell? Is that not the worst? So this is my second time having COVID. The first time I had COVID, it was bad but in a different way, but I didn't lose my taste and smell. But this time I've lost my, completely lost my sense of smell. And you know, like 80% of your taste is connected to your smell. It's called the olfactory system. So when you can't smell, it messes up your taste. Now, I am a very, I'm a very sensual person. Like, Spencer teases me all the time because I like to have incense burning. I've gotten in trouble so many times at prison because they come down there and I've got incense burning. You're not supposed to do that. But I, I love to have incense burning. I love to douse myself in patchouli. I love to have all these different smells. And then when it comes to tastes, I love a good, strong, black cup of bougie coffee. I love dark chocolate. I love the occasional cigar. Occasional. It's once a day occasional. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I like these, like what I would consider like the finer things. You know what I'm saying? I love that stuff. And I think that's good. Like that was something I think sort of coming up that I felt guilty that I was that way. But now I realize, no, this is how God made us. This is how God made me to enjoy this stuff. So this has been such a struggle over the past two weeks that I've got no sense of smell. And y'all, things that I would normally enjoy, like coffee, coffee tastes like trash. And it doesn't matter if it's the Maxwell house that my grandma drinks or if it's whatever kind of expensive coffee y'all have out there. It all tastes like trash. The dark chocolate, the cigars, all of it tastes like trash. So this has been such a struggle for me because that's how, I'm, that's how I'm accustomed to experiencing the beauty of God. But I'm thankful this morning that I still got my eyes, I still got my ears, so I can still see the beauty of creation. I can still see the beauty of the trees. I can still see the beauty of the flowers, which I'm not sure are supposed to be blooming right now, but they are. And I can still see that, and I can still listen to Sam Cooke sing. And as long as those things are going on, I'm okay. So I'm having to tap into some different ways, and I really hope my sense of smell and taste comes back. But in the meantime, to tap into some different ways that God conveys His beauty to us. Okay? All right, now that I've gone on that rant, let's read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. From here on out, I'm going to stick close to my notes, y'all, I promise. Cigars was not in my notes. See, that's what happens when I don't... Luke chapter 9, and I'm going to read verses 28 through 33. And you think about this experience of Peter, James, and John experiencing Jesus in all of His glory and all of His beauty. About eight days after Jesus said these things, He took Peter, John, and James, and He went up on a mountain to pray. 
As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes flashed white like lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, were talking with him. They were clothed with heavenly splendor and spoke about Jesus' departure, which he would achieve in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were almost overcome by sleep, but they managed to stay awake and saw his glory as well as the two other men with him. As the two men were about to leave Jesus, Peter said, Master, it is good that we are here. We should construct three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he did not know what he was saying. In this passage, Peter, James, and John are having a literal mountaintop experience. We talk about having mountaintop experiences with God uh, and we thank God for these moments where um, His presence is conveyed to us in such a palpable, tangible, undeniable way. These three, who are considered the inner circle sometimes, are witnessing the sheer radiance and beauty of Jesus. And um, Peter, as he often does, rushes in and says something. Even though it says here, he didn't know what he was saying. Or in other passages, it says, he said this because he didn't know what to say. So the thing that I like about Peter, y'all, is this. Peter says the stuff that other people are thinking, but Peter doesn't seem to have much of a filter, and so that stuff just comes out. So can we just stop right now and give Peter a hand? Let's give Peter a hand. You know why we need to give Peter a hand? Because Peter goes ahead of us and he makes all these mistakes so that we don't have to. Like he steps on all of these theological landmines so that we don't have to step on them. And we realize, oh, so Jesus is not a fan of shrines because Peter says these things. And actually, as much as we want to stand back and judge him, him rushing in and saying things that other people are thinking actually helps Jesus to clarify the situation. So Peter rushes in and and he says this, but before he makes the statement about the shrines, which we're going to speak about briefly in a little while, he actually makes a very accurate statement. Before he says the thing about the shrines, he says, it is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. Here's what I think. I think that Peter, James, and John were going to, they were rapidly coming upon this place where Jesus tangibly, his physical presence was going to be taken away from them. And these three guys were going to have to help lead this movement forward. And in order for them to have the sustaining power to do that, okay, they needed to have an unusual experience with Jesus, that would actually form them and enrich them and shape them so that they could do what it was they were going to have to do in his, not his spiritual absence, but in his physical absence. And this is what beauty, now this is on a different scale, but just in general, this is what beauty does for us, y'all. It sustains us. It enriches us. It motivates us. It gives us something to come back to. Because we're going to walk through times when beauty is hard to come by. But we've had these experiences of true beauty and all true beauty comes from God. And we can come back to these 
as touch points that can sustain us as we continue to follow the way of Christ. So beauty has a way of sustaining us, of motivating us, of healing us. Beauty has a way of healing us, y'all. I don't know if y'all have ever had um, experiences. Maybe you've had experiences in nature. Maybe you've had experiences with works of art where something happens inside of you. Maybe there are tears. Maybe there's some kind of a release. But when you walk away from that experience, you feel more whole than you did before. And so beauty has this way of, of shaping us and of healing us and of strengthening our resolve. So yes, it was good for them to be there and to experience the beauty of the glorified Christ. Here's a little fun factoid. Y'all want it? Okay. Yeah. Spencer wants it. Um, I worked briefly as a, before I started working in the prison system, I worked briefly as a hospital chaplain. And um, I worked in a new hospital in Hillsborough where they, you walk in these rooms and like the whole room is a window. I mean, there are windows everywhere. And when I asked people about it, they designed it that way on purpose because research has shown that hospital patients who are close enough to a window, right? So they don't necessarily have to be right by it, but they're close enough to a window that they can see outside. They're close enough to a window to look outside, have a 41% reduced length of stay compared to those who do not have access to a window. That's incredible, y'all. Just by putting them close to a window, their length of stay in the hospital is almost cut in half. They're not getting any kind of different treatment or anything like that, but they're close enough to a window. They're experiencing the light that's coming in through the window and they can see outside. Maybe they can see trees or whatever, but they can see out through the window. They have access to beauty Whereas those who are not close to the window don't have that access to beauty and we can see the palpable effect that it has on them, the healing effect that it has on them. This is God's design. This is God's intention. In this passage from Luke 9, we find Peter, James, and John in a thin place. I want to talk to y'all about Thin places. Y'all say thin place. Okay. Thank you. So, disobedience, rebellion, apathy, sin, have created a tear between heaven and earth that God never intended. So, in other words, if you go back to the very beginning, there was no seam between heaven and earth. I think, Jay, I think that's theologically correct. I think. It's at least not heresy. There was no seam. There was no tear. There was perfect flow between heaven and earth. Okay? But through our sin, through our disobedience, through our rebellion, through our apathy too, there's now a tear between heaven and earth. I'm going to get ahead of myself and say this though. It's not a complete tear. It is not. Don't let anybody ever convince you that that tear is complete. But there is a tear. And what happens is, my goodness, my nose is running, y'all. I'm so sorry. What happens is, because we live in this state where there's this tear between heaven and earth, we develop a sense of separation. 
we, we develop this sense, and at first we're like, oh, it's uncomfortable for us. We, we sense a separation between us and God. We sense a separation between us and the ideal, the way things are supposed to be. But the bad part about it is, y'all, we gradually become accustomed to that sense of separation. And it's like we're walking around with this chronic low-grade fever. Now, when I first got COVID a couple weeks ago, I had a fever of 102.5. That's not a low-grade fever. I couldn't do anything. I knew I had a fever, and I'm laying on the couch. I can't do anything. My eyeballs hurt. But when you have a low-grade fever, when you're like 99 to 100, you can still kind of do stuff, but you're not well. And this is where we are spiritually. We're walking around with this constant sense of separation that's in the background, but we've learned how to function with it, unfortunately. We are starving for contact with the transcendent, but it has been so long that we have forgotten what we're hungry for. We are starving for contact with the transcendent because that's how we were meant to live to have regular contact with the transcendent. But it's been so long for us that we don't know why we're hungry. We don't know what we're hungry for. And so we just keep going. And that's because of this tear between heaven and earth, this separation. But the separation, again, between heaven and earth is far from complete. So this brings us to the subject of thin places. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Did my wife put you up to that? Okay, so thin places. I think we have a, do we have a slide? My one and only slide. Um, so growing up in the, I grew up in the Westin Church, which was back when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, you still heard a lot about holiness. Westin Church is um, kind of birthed out of the American holiness movement. And uh, so you grow up going to these revivals and camp meetings and stuff like that. And the old folks would say some weird stuff sometimes. And you really didn't know what they were talking about. And one of the things that they would talk about is, this is a thin place, son. We're in a thin place. (laughs) What does that mean? We're in a thin place. And and they had explained to me that a thin place is, (laughs) sorry, I don't know who I was imitating. Places where the connection between heaven and earth becomes palpable. Let's stop right there. A place where the connection between heaven and earth becomes palpable, where there is no sense of separation, where heaven and earth are all tangled up together. Now, um, some of y'all have been seeing what's going on at Asbury University, right? The revival that's going on. So um, back probably 15, 20 years ago, my wife and I lived on campus at Asbury for three years while I was at graduate school. And this is the second time that an extended revival has broken out on that campus. And I promise you that when you're, Asbury is a thin place. It's like no place I've ever been where there's a constant vibe. There, it's like the place is soaked in the spirit of revival, which is why every once in a while, real revival just breaks out. It's a thin place. Now, I don't, I don't understand the science of what makes one place a thin place and one place not. I think any place really has the potential to become a thin place where heaven, this uh, connection between heaven and earth becomes palpable. A place where, as David says in Psalm 27, 13, we see the goodness of the Lord. Where? In the land of the living. 
Not after we die, but we see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is beauty. We're talking about beauty. Beauty, this is my definition of beauty. Beauty is the essence of God expressed in the temporal, everyday world that we live in. So the two key words there are essence and expressed. That's what beauty is, y'all. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so big. That's why it's so necessary that we experience it because it's, we are having an experience of God's essence expressed in this temporal, everyday world that we live in. Thin places are conduits of beauty. We are surrounded by these places if we would only have eyes to see. I have become, and I have such a, such a long, long way to go, but I have become hungry for seeing these thin places. Um, so I have a, an hour-long commute between my house and work, and it's all back roads. It's absolutely beautiful going through uh, Chatham, Alamance, and Orange County. And y'all, I've so many times in my commute, I have seen something. And, and I've gotten obsessed, by the way, don't get, it's not safe to get in the car with me, but I'm driving down the road and I might see, like, I might see like a gravel road and the gravel road bends around this way and you can't really see all the way back. And I want to slow down and see because I know those thin places are there. And I know they're especially easy to see in God's created order, but so many times we're not looking for them and we miss out on them. And it's such, uh, such an amazing experience that you can carry with you when you run into those difficult times that you encountered God. You saw the beauty, y'all to see the beauty of God, the essence of God expressed in this world. It's there all around us, but so many times we're moving so fast, we're so distracted that we're blind to these thin places. And so my encouragement for us is that we would slow down and that we would cultivate a hunger to see these thin places, to be in these thin places. Now, Peter, James, and John, again, this is uh, the, the experience that they're having, which is why we're talking about it, is on a different scale. For me, you know, seeing a thin place down a gravel road, it's the same thing, but it's on a different scale because they're actually looking at Jesus and Jesus is the ultimate thin place. Because Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's essence. Again, if beauty is an expression of God's essence, Jesus is the ultimate expression. He's the ultimate thin place. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke through the prophets to our ancestors in many times and many ways. In these final days, though, He has spoken to us through His Son. God made His Son the heir of everything and created the world through Him. The Son is the light of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's being. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God. Um, some of you were at the retreat a few weeks ago, and I, 
was talking to you about the darkness of God. I'm not going to get into that today. Don't worry. But, but in essence, because God the Father is so enveloped in mystery, y'all, in transcendence, he, he, He's the Creator. He's, so, he's with us. We can experience Him. <coughs> Excuse me. But we can never comprehend Him. It's almost like we can't really look directly at Him. Do y'all see what I'm saying? But Jesus, we can look at. It's sort of like our inability to look directly at the sun. Did y'all know this? Here's another little interesting factoid. You can't look at the sun. And I'm not telling you like your mom told you when little that you shouldn't look at the sun. I'm telling you you can't look at the sun. The sun is, if I'm not mistaken, 93 million miles away. Who said that? We have a science teacher? Okay, correct. Thank you, thank you, Anderson. Appreciate that. So, am I also correct in saying it takes eight minutes for that to get to us? Is that right? So, when you look at the sun, now this is where I go. I always have like, if I'm speaking, there will be a scientist like, yeah, yeah, and then I'll say something and they'll go, oh, they'll fall silent. <laughs> if you're looking at the sun, you're actually looking at where the sun was eight minutes ago. Is that correct? Anderson. Uh, I'm going to take that. He's going like this. We're seeing the sun as it was eight minutes ago. We're not looking directly at the sun. But we can look at the light that emanates from the sun in the same way that we can look at Jesus who emanates from the heart of God even though we can't fully comprehend the heart of God. Jesus is the ultimate thin place because he's the ultimate expression of, of God's essence. Jesus is the place, he is the place where heaven and earth are all tangled up together and there is no separation between the two. And so Peter, James, and John are here beholding Jesus. All right, I'm about to bring it home. So we are, to review, we are surrounded by thin places, correct? Jesus is the ultimate thin place. But let's don't stop there. As we deepen in our experience with Jesus, y'all, we become a thin place for other people. God wants for us to be a thin place where we're encountering people every day who are starved of beauty, who are starved of... They're starving for an encounter with the transcendent, but they can't even name it. But then they encounter us and they see that there's something different about us. There's a thinness about us. Even though there's an earthiness about us, they can easily discern the presence of God in our lives because we've allowed ourselves to become a thin place for other people. So it's not just about these thin places for us to experience. That's great. It's not just about Jesus being the ultimate thin place, but this is not just for us, y'all. It includes us. And we are supposed to participate in this process. Where ultimately, if I understand the New Testament correctly, everything is going to become a thin place. There's not going to be any more division. There's not going to be any more tear. There's not going to be any more separation. And we get to be part of that work right now in our earthly lives. Okay, to finish, 
Let's talk quickly about this second statement that Peter makes. Peter should have stopped. You know, Peter will do that. Like, he doesn't have a lot of a sense of showmanship. Like, you, you say something, you make a good statement, you walk off. He says, it's good for us to be here. Okay, good. Let's build some shrines. What? No, we're not going to build shrines. But here is, uh, here is, again, where we're indebted to Peter because all of us face this temptation. If beauty is a visceral experience of God's essence, then the temptation is to grasp onto this experience and make it permanent. To control it is what we want to do. To build a shrine to it. Y'all, I don't know a whole lot about God. I really don't. But I can tell you this. God is not a fan of shrines. He is not a fan of shrines because that it represents an attempt to take his expression, he's expressed himself to us, to grab a hold of it and to control it and to own it. And that's not how it works. Beauty by its very nature is transient. Even Jesus, even though he's spiritually eternal in terms of his earthly life, his earthly life was very transient. If God ever expressed himself in a permanent way. So this is it. God, When God, these expressions of God, they, they're ephemeral. They come and they go right? You could walk in, there could be a thin place there and you feel the presence of God and you come back tomorrow and you don't have that same sense. And that's the way it's intended to be. Because if God ever expressed himself in a permanent way, we would stop seeking after him. We would lose our trust in him. God wants us to trust in him. God wants us to be dependent upon him. And God wants us to seek after him. And so we experience his expression, we experience his beauty, but we can't succumb to the temptation to grab a hold of it and try to make it permanent. Moses, who was appearing here with Jesus, along with Elijah, they had to, when, when Peter said this, the two of them had to be like, oh no, not the shrines. Moses, Back in Exodus 3, has his own thin place experience. Remember, he encounters God in the burning bush. That is an amazing thin place experience. You're experiencing the presence of God right here in the land of the living. Heaven and earth coming together. But how did Moses respond? He didn't build a shrine. He took his shoes off. That was at God's command. But let's give Moses credit. He took his shoes off. In other words, when he experiences the beauty of God, when he experiences the radiance of God, his response was to honor the moment without trying to control it. And this is our task. As we seek out these encounters with God, as we seek out these thin places, understanding that God is trying to form us into a thin place, and when we have these experiences, wherever we, wherever we are and however it comes to us, that we do it with our shoes off, we do it with open hands. We're not trying to control it. We're grateful for it. We want to honor it without grabbing onto it and trying to control it. I'm going to invite us into a time of prayer. And if you're able, I invite you to stand. I just want to pray over us and let's, um, 
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and just take on the posture of receptivity. Let's open our hands up. Father God, first of all, thank you. The absolute embarrassment of revelation that you've given us. The absolute abundance of revelation. All the different ways that you speak to us, all the different ways that you convey your heart to us. We thank you so much for creation. We thank you for art. We thank you for expression. We thank you for your word. We thank you most of all for Jesus, who is your ultimate self-expression. We can see your character so clearly in Jesus. And if we're honest, we can also see who it is and how it is you want us to be. Thank you for encountering us wherever it is and however it is. I pray that you would continue to draw us, draw us, draw us, lead us, give us a deepening hunger for these encounters with you. God, that you might use us as broken and as frail as we are, that you might use us to facilitate an encounter with somebody else. God, may this be true of us, I pray. In the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit working within us, make us a thin place. We love you today. We thank you for your goodness to us. Increase our love for you. Intensify our love for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.